0: Welcome to Kashris on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashris Magazine. And tonight we have a very special guest, somebody we've had on the show before. Uh, he's returning to discuss uh, some topics of the day, Rabbi Yaria Hoffman, and our topic today will be about Pesach, because that's the next Yom Tov. It seems uh, very quick from, pe- from Purim to Pesach. We turned around just one day and now we're already working hard at preparing for Pesach. And uh, we at Kashas Magazine have just printed our Kashas Magazine for Pesach, which we'll be returning, we're we'll going to have uh, tomorrow, or on Wednesday, and we mailed out then to all of our readers. And Anybody's interested, can call us, 718 336 8544 to get a copy or look for it in your bookstore or in some of the supermarkets. Uh, Before we talk to Rabbi Hoffman, who's waiting for us, just a moment, I want to share with you a few thoughts on things that happened in the recent past. A few weeks ago, we had a show dealing with standards. It was a very special show, and I think uh, Kosher Standards, it was a very, very special show, and I was impressed by the uh, reaction that I got because many people uh, contacted me, and mentioned how it affected them and how they started thinking about different standards in their own life, about kashrus, And uh, some of them are struggling to go up and to accept new areas that they were uh, a little bit scared to do before. So I think it worked out very nicely. And just to share with you, I received a call from one of the leading rabbanim in our community who listens to this show. I don't know if he listens every week, but I know he listened to that show, and he discussed with me his understanding of Ramosha Feinstein's tshuva, that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein had a responsa dealing with blended whiskey, a famous one that's in the first chilek of, of uh, Yeridea, with Igros Moshe, his uh, Yerid, first Yeridea chilek, which is Simon Samach base. and uh, he felt that Perhaps I didn't say it exactly clearly on the radio, uh, express exact way Ramosha meant. And so I'm gonna read you the words from Ramosha right now. This is what Ramosha said. Vani, that I, Ramosha says, Afshani Matir. I say that blended whiskey in those days was saying blended whiskey that may have some wine mixed in, uh, a small amount, somewhere about four. One to 40, 2.5%, uh, percent let's say, which technically wouldn't be bottle wouldn't be nullified if you hold the sixty to one is required, but if you hold that you only need uh, six to one, which is the case is according to uh, the the facts of uh, of wine, which are different denim than other things, so therefore uh, then it would be bottle because you had definitely more than six to one, you had forty to one. So that's the issue. Uh, again, it wasn't that the blended whiskey is, is tray for that it has actual wine in there. There's a concern that there may be wine in there and that it wouldn't be bottle according to the numbers of 1 to 60. So he says, mm-hmm. I hold that that if you don't know if there's anything in there and if it's, if you definitely have 6 to 1, then it's acceptable to drink it. V'nizarani blended, He says, what I do is I personally would not drink this blended whiskey that has a possibility of having this small amount of wine in there because I feel you need 60 to 1. And therefore, I wouldn't drink it. But when I'm sitting with a group of people, I don't want it to look haughty that I am going to not drink it. And you drink, everybody else is drinking. And I'm going to say, no, I don't drink that. As if I'm saying that, you know, everything is, I'm better than you. So therefore, he didn't want to do that. So therefore, he would take a little drop, uh, say a bracha, take a little drop. And then he would give the bracha to the people who were there, give them a a good bench to you, whatever the simcha was, Bench them. It's much better to have a whiskey that doesn't have this question at all. So that's the, that truth I just don't want to go into. I just wanted to make sure everybody heard it. What I said and how much difference there was is very, very slight, but I felt I wanted to fulfill what that a gentleman that Rav asked me to do. Now the other thing I want to mention is that last week we talked a little bit about drinking on, on Purim, and uh, some people walked there with the more, wrong impression. I did not say that people should giving uh, the children uh, to drink. I, I certainly not in their house, and not certainly not when they go to another house. What I did say is that at certain point a certain amount of wine is given to a certain amount of certain age children in a home and that that has to be controlled that's the only thing that i had said at that time and anyone who thinks i said something different is, is incorrect you have to listen to the tape i didn't say that Bye-bye. yes i want
1: to say first of all thanks to our listeners and uh, about you know the really cooperative, cooperative with uh, non drinking and uh, Purim. It, the street was it seems like much safer, and I'm going to get the information from Matzalah and the Shomrim. But at least what in my, the street that I travel, and was uh, it seems like very uh, much quieter, and a lot of Gvirim decided to cancel all this uh, to, uh, to give drinks to the Bachurim. And Baruch Hashem, uh, it seems like it's working. Chasdei Hashem to all the Rabbanim that uh, participate in uh, this, uh, I would say campaign anti-alcohol, and I think that we, as as the radios, and since we open, it's already almost uh, four years that uh, we always pushed against alcohol, and now maybe time of the kiddish Club to get uh, down a little bit. Okay, <laughs> maybe we'll take
0: care of that when we discuss uh, the kiddish the Kasha of the Kiddushes. <laughs> but right now we have, uh, waiting on the phone, Rabbi Yaya Hoffman. Are you there, Rabbi Hoffman? Yes, I'm here. Okay, it's, it's the, good to have you aboard again. Uh, you know the, Likewise, uh, likewise. <laughs> So I wanted
2: to begin a little bit with uh, getting a background on the science of what chametz is exactly, uh, if that's okay. Because uh,
0: well, we got to get to matzah. That's what we're trying to shoot for. <laughs>
2: okay, but let's let's discuss what matzah is and what and what is. Go ahead. Okay. Firstly, we have to know that the world is filled with microorganisms that are called the yeasts. These yeasts are found everywhere. They're on the ground. They're on plants. They're on trees. They're on human beings. They're even in the air that we breathe. Now, these airborne yeasts, they enter everywhere, and they enter into the matzo dough. These yeasts feed on the starches that are in the flour. Why? How do they do that? Okay, after they eat up the starches, they produce carbon dioxide. That's the same thing that we produce when we breathe out. That carbon dioxide expands the gluten proteins that are in the flour. And that's how dough rises. Okay, so once again, what is it that causes things to go hummocks There are yeasts that are all over. They're airborne yeasts, they're in they're in the matzah, they're in the air, they're everywhere.
0: That's the key, that they're in the matzah, too, that Rabbi Hoffman. They they have to be, right.
2: And and what they do is they cause, after they eat up, they start eating the starches in the flour. Uh, Now, the the gluten protein in the flour actually is a combination of two chemicals. It's called gliadin and glutenin. And these gluten proteins, they're like elastic. They're like rubber bands. Do you ever see that? You know, everyone sees when dough expands, there's an elasticity to it. Now, when the yeast breaks down the starches, what it does is it breaks it down into alcohol and carbon dioxide, and then the dough begins to expand into rice. Now, what helps the yeast uh, do this, or what helps the expansion? There are actually... They used to think there are three factors. There are actually four factors. Firstly, warmth. And we find all these halachas that you've got to keep the, uh, the, the water not warm. You've got to keep that, you can't put the bags on top of each other. Water does it, and time. So those are the three classic elements that help the expansion, and that's what we want to avoid when we make matzah. What's the fourth? So yeast they produce more efficiently, you know, and they constantly grow and stuff when there's warmth. Yeah. Now, the fourth fact that a lot of people are unaware of, believe it or not, is atmospheric pressure. The higher the elevation, so then you got the lower surrounding pressure, and the more carbon dioxide will expand. So believe it or not, a matzah bakery factory in Denver, Colorado is going to uh, is going to have a harder time. And one located at you know the Dead Sea level or type of thing. Did but you? Those hear did, are the four factors that cause, and we see three of them in halacha uh, that cause um, chametz. You know, when you bake matzah, uh, that cause uh, that cause more uh, chametz to happen. So I just wanted to start off with a little bit about the science before we got into uh, you know some of the other halachas and other aspects of it.
0: I, I, what you're saying already, Rabbi Hoffman, I, I have to find understand a little better. Why, uh, have you ever heard of a poisek who took that into account? In other words, should the people in Denver either not make matzah and get take it from New York, or should they uh, use less time, let's say, 16 not minutes? Yet. I
2: do want to bring the issue up to some paiskim. Uh, I started speaking about it with one or two of them, and they were fascinated by it. But, uh, but uh, I mean, the main factors we find in halacha are warmth, and, and by the way, you know these factors—they're brought in later. We don't necessarily find them in the Gemara. They are connected later to that, uh, you know, to the Gemara. Place can do that. Water, time, but but atmospheric pressure can also be a factor. I'm in the midst of uh, having discussions with, uh, with with people on it, but with with Kudala on it. But uh, uh, I'll get back to you on that. I,
0: I mean that I'd, was the science aspect but I'd like i also to, wanted no, to speak I'd, a little bit about the the weed on the ground but before you go on to that, let's, let's, yeah. let's let's get the atmospheric pressure explain what that is doing how whatever you know about it right now what is okay. happening there
2: okay so basically it's like this uh you know how you get a bloody nose when you go up to the mountains sometimes yeah. and there's no reason why yeah Okay, the reason is is because uh, the blood in your capillaries, there's less pressure, so that kind of comes out, and that's why you get bloody noses. For the same reason, you will get more carbon dioxide expansion when there's less atmospheric pressure. So, Mimela, it'll rise. Now, also, you know, there's you know, like in, in contemporary matzah now. So a lot of people like their 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 wheat flour thin, thin, thin. Right now, uh, some posts can say, no, we don't want to grind it so thin because when you grind it thin, there's an extra warmth in there. Mm. So that's why you'll get certain matzahs. You know, I think pretty much ninety percent of people believe that the thinner. And smaller, tinier the wheat, the tastier the matzah, the flour, I mean, uh, the tastier the matzah. So that's why people like it from a certain bakery. Now, when you try and ask you know, some of the other bakeries to, to say, well, why don't you get uh, thinner, you know, why don't you grind your wheat finer? So they say, look, our postkin don't want that because they're concerned about the extra heat generated in the finer grinding. So you know, they do take all these other factors into account, so I'm just wondering uh, about, you know, the elevation issue.
0: The, 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 you're saying the reason why matzahs are thin is because the the, the, the matzah meal, the matzah, matzah flour has been ground f- better? So what I'm saying is this is my personal observation.
2: I believe that the finer the flour, the tastier the matzah. And yes, that's why they're thinner. So in other words, you can get, if you've got thinly ground flour, your matzo is going to be thinner than the thicker ones. And uh, some, it, it's much tastier, but some Postkin don't like it because oh, they yeah. have hot fudders on how, uh, uh, how thinly ground it could be.
0: Beautiful. Okay, let's go to the next step. We've got to get p- past there. You uh, give us a little history, but I'd think we i like to get into the matzah baking as soon as we can, because the time's okay, going to go so away. Let,
2: let me, let, let's go step in order, if you yeah. can. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, the wheat on the ground. Mm. Now, you know, in Eretz Yisrael and in Egypt, there are very, very different weather patterns. Mm. In Eretz Yisrael, for example, there are only two rainy seasons. Uh, there's, they're called in the Shema. They're called Yoret and Malkosh. Those are the only two rainy seasons. Here it rains every month, and, you know, the past few, few you know, it's been <laughs> snowing left and right. So yeah. In the United States, the United States and Europe are similar in that the rain patterns are very, very different from from Yisrael and, and Mitzrayim. And uh, that also uh, causes... Uh, a difference in, in the wheat on the ground. Wheat that's become fully ripened, believe it or not, can become hummets while still attached to the ground. Uh, so these problems first started uh, showing up in Europe. You know, it didn't it didn't really happen when we were at Yisrael. And the Shulchan Arach discusses it. You know, there's a Mishnah Bura mm-hmm. in, in Nun Gimel Chafbez. There's also a Machaber in Taf Samach Zayin Hay. That uh, that discusses it, but the uh, so in America and in Europe there was a rush to figure out what to do so that the wheat on the ground doesn't get common and stick, and believe it or not, uh, that's you know the current tumor with the uh, with the Satmar Matsas, uh... in Yuma, Arizona, and also now like in California, certain areas where it doesn't rain at all, and uh, they wanted to uh, mimic. So to speak, the atmosphere in, in Mitzrayim and in Eretz Yisrael, uh, the Satma Rebbe in the 60s wanted to do it. It didn't work out a little bit because of uh, different issues with the type of wheat that they were uh, growing. But then, you know, that kind of changed. So that's why we've got all this new type of wheat coming out of uh, very arid areas where there's no, uh, you know, where there's no rain. Virtually, Now, here in New York, when they go cut it, you know, they're always looking, okay, is it, is it ripe enough? And, uh, you know, they're always rushing. You know, that happens, like, at the end of August and stuff. And they're concerned, you know, the, there's a high other than the Mishaburah kind of quotes, which, uh, which says, all right, you could cut it when it's green, and that way it doesn't become a problem. But there is an issue. There is an issue of wheat becoming uh, stick while it's still attached to the ground. Okay, but that's enough about the science issues and stuff. Maybe let's get to uh, <laughs>
0: to let me just explain stuff. to the people who listening how it could become hummets while it's still attached to the ground. Uh, Rav, Rav Shimon Eider, as i explained it to us that the uh, the standing the weed stands up, but in a heavy, heavy rain, it could. Fall down and be pressured down, and could be sort of trapped uh, between uh, other stalks, and it would be it would be kept down towards the ground, and the water would so would soak in there, and then later on you might have it actually stand up again, and you wouldn't recognize it, and so therefore they try as much as possible to avoid those uh, places where they're having a lot of rain, or to right, take it's it early.
2: It's a chuba, chuba chaf, and chelik zayin. And uh, that's that's where that that that's where it's it, it's brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically writes that the, the Gemara refers to wheat that became completely ripe while attached to the ground. It doesn't need any further nutrients. Everything that dried out completely while well, still attached to the ground, it's considered as if it's resting in the pitcher, and is susceptible to becoming chametz if rain falls on it. Mm-hmm. So that's a chuvasa rashba It's the first time it's kind of mentioned and explained. And the Shulchan Aruch, uh, he brings down this rashba lahalacha, the little-known fact, but, uh, but but that's where it came from.
0: So, is there a a, a best wheat? It seems that, I, from what I understand, people, uh, this one swears by this wheat and this one swears right. by that okay. wheat.
2: So so I delved into that a little bit. You know, there is a, a lot of internal, you know, uh, I don't know if you're going to get in trouble for this, but the Aroni-Zali fights about which matzo is better, that type of thing. I think both versions of, you know, the the low rain are perfectly fine. There was someone that tried attacking the Yuma by saying that there's too much salt in it because there's no rain to wash away the salt, and the salt content is, is, is you know, as if there's salt in the, in the matzah. It's a minuscule amount. Uh, I once had it out with one of the post that that said that, and, and it's just, you know, I asked him if he looked at the salt content in Egypt. And uh, anyway, to make a long story short, you know, both are completely fine. My personal thinking is that, yes, the uh, the low rain areas are are halachically better because they're more like the wheat that existed in Eretz Yisrael, and they didn't have the problems of the, you know, the rainy seasons that are in Europe and in uh, and in America. So that would be it's you all- saying
0: that would be Arizona wheat, you'd say yeah the arizona and i think that there's one from california from the other Stoutman's side uh, also I, I want i want you to know that the that the other side cuz i was involved a little bit this year with it somebody was uh, was involved with me with it uh the the other side is claims that the arizona wheat because it's a dry area they're picking it a little bit late so, so that, that that you know again
2: yeah, but the, there's no problems with picking it late because there's no. Well,
0: they have a. They have certain theories. I'm not going to go into it now because it's the radio show. It's a little bit hard to discuss some of the topics. that are a little more. Uh, it would, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't sound so nice on the radio. But there are, there are concerns of uh, animals and things. There's a little uh, bit of okay. a concern. Yeah. So I'm not. I don't. I'm not saying he was right no, and was wrong. I, I
2: want to get into like the matzah itself. That's it. Let's that's get okay. into the
0: matzah because we don't have okay. that much time. <laughs>
2: Okay, so as we know, there are two types of matzahs. There's matzah's mitzvah, and there's regular mitzvah. What's matzah's mitzvah? Those are the ones that are going to be used on the two nights of the Seder here in the United States, and actually saw the first night of the Seder. Now, matzah's mitzvah, technically you can bake them from any of the five wheats, wheat, barley, oats, spelt, rye, but it's mitzvah, mina mufchar, according to the Ramah, to bake it only from wheat. Okay, so that, that's an important thing to know. Regular matzah is what we eat throughout the regular, uh, throughout the, uh, the yontif. Now, we have a pasik that says, mesamatzos. What does this mean? It means you've got to guard the matzahs. From there, uh, you know, Chazal say that they need special supervision, special shmirah, to not become comets. What does that mean? It means you've got to make sure that nothing happens to them. Uh, now, if you want to make matzah mitzvah, you got to guard them, and that's the concept of what shmurah matzah is about. And there is a three-way machlokas as to how to define shmurah matzah. Technically, uh, the uh, you don't need to watch uh, you don't need to watch them for the matzah that you eat during the non-seder nights. But Yisrael is a holy nation, in fact, there's a fascinating Malbum that says, what was the schus that we, uh, that we got out of Mitzrayim? The schus was, we didn't change our names, we didn't change our language, we didn't change our clothing. And these were not halacha, these were chumras. So because they were chumras, that's why we're particularly... we were saved because of our chumras, says the Malbum. and that's why, for Pesach, uh, we try and keep all the homeless so that's why uh, people try and keep uh, even to each more matzah during the non-Seder nights. But technically, you're not a, you're not too. Uh, well, I'll
0: if you if, if you have real concerns about things becoming chametz, then I mean, ultimately right, it right. is but, but it ultimately is, it's a concern. Not just Hidur, uh, it's a concern for real Khametz. If the, if the if you could say like the drashba said that it's real Khametz, it, it could technically be real Khametz while it's it's, right, it's standing.
2: But the question is, Do you need shmira? Okay, uh, you the shmira long, the aspect is you don't is, right.
0: need it. In right, extra shmira. Right, requiring it not, right. but but if it would have been Khametz, it would have been an issue, and therefore there's an uh, there's a value in, in in added shmira for even for all all pesach. Right.
2: Okay, so the three-way machlokas is, uh, do you you observe it from the time that you grind it itself, right? Do you observe it from the time that you harvest it, right? Or do you observe it uh, from the time that uh, just, you you know, after it was ground? So those are the three ways. And lehalacha, so we are machmer again right but lahalakha uh, you could just keep to the minimum so everything technically is shmurah matzah however uh, we only call shmurah matzah you know when it was uh, when it was either from when it was from the harvesting uh, there's also another issue you want to make sure that the wheat kernels themselves are not infested with worms Sometimes that happens. In America, it doesn't really happen because we do use pesticides. Uh, but uh, that is something that, uh, you know, people have to be careful with. Uh, when you grind the wheat, you know, you got to make sure that the flour doesn't warm up to a significant degree. Uh, so, therefore, uh, you should wait a little bit uh, so that it cools down. Uh, you, technically, you don't... Uh, uh, you you don't have to do this waiting. But uh, the beer the Berhetev says uh you should uh, you, you know you definitely don't you, you don't need the flour on the same day that it was ground. You wait a day or two. Right. Uh that's uh at a minimum you should wait for it to cool overnight. Uh, if someone didn't wait and they used it, it's still mutter, but you know it's not khatila. When you grind the wheat you know, you should say Lachey Mitzvah's Matzah. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, you have to do everything with Shema. And also, after you ground them, you should not put one bag on top of the other. I've been in a few matzah bakeries where, you know, I've seen them store it that way. But, okay, uh, they, uh, y- 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 why don't you put it on top of the other? Because there's extra warmth there. That's a Ramah in Tufnun Gimel. And that extra warmth causes it to become chametz faster. Uh, what happens if you did put bags on top of the other? So what they should, what what the mission says has to do is separate it and don't start kneading it until a full twenty four hours has elapsed. I'm not sure how many people keep to this. Uh, so this is when people go on the chaburas, they should watch for this. Uh, now, you can put the bags of flour next to each other, and even if they're touching, it's not really a problem because the warmth is not that that much as, is, as when it's one on top of the other. And also, it is a good idea to keep the bags above the, long, the, the floor because sometimes there's a leak or a flood, and that, that'll, kill, uh, that'll kill it. Uh, they need the flour... Before, uh, be, I'm sorry, before the flour is needed, uh so it's sifted. And uh, the question is what kind of sifter you should be using. Uh, they're different mesh. So most people use about a 40-mesh sifter. Some people use a 60, but that's the, that's the kind they use. The Shulchan Aruch tells us when you make the dough, don't make, uh, don't make it too large and don't make it too small uh says you know use about one point two uh kilograms uh why did uh why should it be too big because Ghazal felt that uh you can't adequately work with it from all the sides if it's too big uh if they did make it too big so uh but it, the it it's okay uh and let's see what else uh the uh I'm just trying to figure out where we should go to now. Well,
0: let's do the actual um, baking. Maybe the actual, baking. Itself, maybe. Yeah, the actual baking. Yeah, the whole the whole procedure. The people. I don't. Everyone who's seen. I don't think everyone has seen these uh, matzah bakeries for more than a few minutes. Walking through. There's a lot of things to see. Maybe we can point out some of the things that uh, the chabur is actually aired. I don't know if everybody even knows what a Chaburah is. A Chaburah is a, a group of people who took over the uh, matzah bakery. Some people take it over completely from A to Z, and they do everything themselves. And other Khaburas come, and they just supervise and watch, and they might say that this matzah is not acceptable to us, and they might put, push that matzah away, and it gets sold to other people who are not part of that Chaburah. The owner right. of the factory takes it. But then we go also through the process. The original setup, it's interesting. You know, there
2: are different shitas about... Uh, should you make the area close to the oven, or should you make it far from the oven? There are advantages and disadvantages to each. Some people like it uh, far from the oven. That way, the heat of the oven doesn't cause while they're working with it to become hummets. But the problem with that is is that you you lose your time. You know after you uh, it, it, what they do is they have you know they transport the uh, the on these big wooden poles and uh you know they're folded over and uh you know kind of like as a like in an upside down U so someone's got to walk those matzahs to the oven and uh and when he does that uh if he's too close to the oven then you know there's not far of a distance but that heat will make a huge difference if there's a far walk so then the time So, so, you know, different matzo bakeries are set up, you know, in terms of that. And, you know, I don't think anyone this, as of yet, you know, uh, discussed the the, the, the prep area to the oven area, the distance, as compared to the other bakeries, the average temperature. You, you know, in the you know the the size of the HVAC system, these are all factors.
0: In, I think uh, it's wonderful. I think Rabbi Hoffman, you're you're touching on areas which I I mean I've been doing this for thirty years or more, and I I, I think that there are very few people uh, ever thought about these topics that you're raising here, which are very very important. I, 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 it would be nice if uh, there would be scientific support to the uh, whole process, and things should be set up. I mean, they, you can't always do ideal ways, but after time, we would be able to. It would be, be beautiful. Let me well, ask whenever you: Whenever
2: people set up, you know, matzah bakeries, you know, they do ask Poiskim. You know, there's always like a, a main posek who who you know judges on all three of these factors to you know to how to set it up. So, you know, everyone's got their chumras. Uh, some people have, you, know, you can't have a situation where all the chumras are met, because invariably one chumra will cause a kula in another area.
0: Right. I, I wanted to ask you one thing that is, is interesting to me, because you raised the question about proximity to the oven. And my, when I go baking, I, I'm the one who stands right next to the oven, and believe me, it's very hot. So I, it, And, and the, the area is fairly close to there. I'm wondering about airborne particles. If if we're talking about uh, yeast and we're talking about humets and we're talking about uh, the fact that there's flour floating around in the air, uh, how does that affect the whole topic?
2: Well, uh, if if again there's there's all sorts of things that you know you need to examine the matzahs afterwards. You know there's there's duds that come and they become real hummets. So if, if flour gets on it. Uh, that can that that that's a big problem you got to make sure that it's that it's a clean clear area uh there, there also you know a lot of people don't realize that you know if there's folds uh in a matzah or you know a certain type of bump that, that that's not just a not good matzah. That, that's that's so uh you know i've i've been in situations where they had the you know someone brought out you know the most you know, the top matzah supposedly, were this matzah bakery denigrated the other matzah bakery, and there were there were really folds in there that were like real full blown hummets. Well, so you got to be very very careful to check. You know, most of the mo- most of the matzah bakeries have someone checking. You know, all the matzahs, but again, you know, it's a very tedious type of thing. It, it's a good idea. I, I know. You know, everyone likes to bring their matzas and cover it. and But it is a very, very important and good idea not to just go with what the matzah baker at the bakery checked, the matzah checker, but also to check your matzas yourself to make sure that there are no Folds or bubbles or those types of things.
0: Let, let's let's so. explain to them. This is this is what I do at the bakery. I'm stand there to decide which matzahs will take which ones. We don't. But maybe you'll just discuss the the the, uh, the and the uh, nefucha. Uh, just give them a little understand what's a kfula and what's a nefucha, so they'll be able to understand wh- how to use it in their own uh, matzahs.
2: Okay, so if if you've got a uh, if you've got like a, a little mountain. Uh, in your matzah, that, that's still okay. In other words, if it's like a little hill. But as soon as the hill has a peak that turns over and folds and touches, so that's, uh, that's, a, that's a problem. Uh, you know, a lot of people can ask why that should be. You know, originally when we first made khamets, they were actually thicker. Uh, it's not like the thin matzahs that we make now. The thin matzahs that we make now is only about 250 years old. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The, uh, you know, if if you take a look at Syrian matzah, the Syrian matzah kind of looks like pita. Uh, so th- that was the way, you know, we used to make it in Europe. Uh, the, uh, so so you know, a lot of people ask that question. But w- whenever you have a doubled, so then that's considered halakhically a problem. Also, uh, whenever you have a, a big bubble.
0: Uh, so then, uh, so then, that's considered. Uh, well, let's give him a number. It's a, it's a, it should be the size of a, what kind of a nut? Uh, uh, I forgot the also, uh, whatever it is. It should be about an inch or so high. It, right, a, a right, little uh, bit a little up uh, according. Eight. Huh? It, it, like
2: I think point eight, I, point I eight think the exact number,
0: point eight inches. Oh, point eight inch. Okay, I'll hear you. That's very good. So that's a, that's a good number for people to use. Uh, as far as the kafoola when it's folded over, I just want to explain that what happens is when something does fold over, and it happened um, whether it happened uh, when they were rolling it out or it happened when it was uh, it, it, it could be put into the oven, uh, not after it comes out of the oven. After it comes out of the oven, it goes over. That doesn't matter. But if it, it, we're afraid that. Some of it didn't get baked in the middle, and then we have a problem, especially those people who do gebruck. so then you're, you're, you're throwing in something that might not have been baked in, uh, completely, and uh, it can't be baked evenly if you have a doubling over, so that's the concern. Well, the a,
2: a, even if not for Gabruck's
0: people, you know,
2: Gabruck is a, is, a uh, is, a, is a different issue, uh, but, but uh, yeah, you've got to make sure that it's not... Uh, that it's fully it's, baked. Right. Yeah, but... but the, the even if it's not for non-Gebroths people, it's still uh, correct. It's still a, a, a real
0: kfula. But a lot, yeah. there are there are people who are very careful with this tiniest kfula, where you see, as we were explained, if you can see a line on one side and a line on the other side. So many people consider that to be also kfula. That's a lighter question, and uh, not everybody uh, would would throw that away, but or not eat it. But uh, some hold that you should shouldn't eat that or you should throw it away. But uh, and if these things happen and On Pesach, then uh, you have a shaila on the nefucha kula that you have to really uh, destroy right. that comet so that so the that is, uh,
2: I, Rav Moshe had a number, but I think it's eight tenths of a of an inch or something, uh, or maybe he was machmir like .78 or something.
0: well And if we're uh, wrong, so everybody should look up in there or is their posted, because we may right, not Rav get it right. Another one who got to come back next week and find the, the
2: chametz. <laughs> right. So I, th- I think if you're at .7, you know you should be safe. Uh, you should be safe on that I mean we also didn't uh, we didn't discuss the Maim Shalanu a little bit uh, that's uh, that's an important thing uh, the uh, the uh, mime Shalanu is the water that is big that, that is used uh, has got to be a special water uh, it's got to be drawn beforehand and it's got to have slept. Uh, so, uh, in other words, it's got to be cooled down. And, you know, also the ratio, by the way, the, the ratio of water to, uh, to matzah or to wheat, is, you know, is different in Eretz Yisrael. And in America, people have different recipes. Uh, so that's, uh, that's another factor that goes into the taste, uh, as we mentioned earlier. Remember, we, uh, you know, forget about halacha from now. Uh, for now, I just wanted to discuss a little bit of the factors that go into the taste. Why one bakery makes different tasting matzo than another. Uh, so, some of it is the recipe. Although you know they're pretty much, uh, you know, the water uh, flour ratio is is pretty much stable in, in, in most places. Uh, but it's the uh, it's the how thinly ground the wheat is. Uh, the people that are, you know, with the long sticks in the uh, in those ovens, how long they leave them in, and and and, and such—that's uh, that's a factor too. A lot of people say, "Oh, they leave them in to burn," but it's a halachic uh, stringency to leave it in a little bit longer rather than taking them out sooner. Uh, so that's another issue. Uh, what else goes into the taste? Uh, it could be just. Uh, you know, aside from the heat, aside from the atmosphere and and the length of time that's left in, uh, and and the recipe and the ground and how thinly ground, I think those are most of the factors. The other issue that, you know, might be worthwhile to discuss is price. Oh before we do that why is it that there's so much of a range.
0: Okay, before we do that I'm gonna say a word for about a spice sponsor because that ties into price. I wanted I ask you to tell us a little bit about Price and I want to hear some problems that you've you've encountered at different matzo bakeries that people who actually go to the matzo bakery should be aware of for the future. You gave away one or two. I'd if they like I would like if you can give us a couple of more. Before we go on though, I'm gonna say a few words about Glottmart, who is our sponsor that conveniently located at twelve oh five Avenue M. And when you think of think of Glattmart, I think you should think of price service convenience and quality. Whether you shop for a few items or full wagon load, you can save plenty of money by shopping at Glotmart. And their weekly specials run from Wednesday to Tuesday, appear on their website or on What's On Sale, W-A-T-S-O-N-S-A-L-E. What's On Sale has all the different stores and tells you different uh, specials that are available in any store. On at Glatmart, you also have the convenience of a valet parking. Just come into Glatmart from the East 12th Street entrance, and they'll park the car for you, have it ready for you to load up with your special items that you purchased in the store. And at Glotmart, the quality of meats is A1. With kosher certifications with both Star K and the Nevada Koshris of Flappush, with base yo of meats and with expert Nikor, at Glotmart, you're getting quality Koshris. Glottmart is at 1205 Avenue M, meeting your shopping needs is their top priority. If you meet Dove in Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glottmart on Koshris on the Air over J-Root Radio. And I just want to add one personal note here because... Uh, when I think of Pesach, I think about Glatmort because I have observed the people who work there are extremely, I mean, even the non-Jews are extremely careful and in checking the items. Of course, everybody is careful. But I was amazed over the years. In, uh, at some of the uh, uh, understanding that they've developed in, in in making sure that every item is going to be pesach item, it sounds silly and si- simple, but I can tell you that many many stores there are, there are there are s- the situations every year that have to make an announcement that uh, sorry it was purchased in our store etc. So that's a, a a good place to shop for pesach. Okay, we're going to turn to our uh, to our guest tonight Rabbi Yair Hoffman. I don't know if we're going to have much time for the calls, but I do want to hear a little bit about price because everybody, everybody thinks about that. You know Rabbi Hoffman, I don't know if you know this, but there's a gentleman, he spoke to me this week, I don't think I'm going to give away too many details, he also called to discuss something, but not something on the uh, from the radio, something, something that I said in the magazine, we had an interesting discussion, and he told me that he personally purchases wholesale matzah from these bakeries, and sells it in his town. I'll keep quiet which town, because he wants to say a little low-key about it. He sells it in his town for the same price, $13 a pound for the shmura matzah, hand shmura matzah. He buys it wholesale, $13, and he sells it at $13, because he wants the people to be able to afford it.
1: So. Uh, I am stunning, you know. <laughs> uh, I am stunning. I'm really, you know, buy, uh, it's true. It's, it's unbelievable. Okay, uh, really so uh, I wanted to actually uh,
2: bring this up a little bit. Uh, uh, I have this theory, and uh, it's, I think it's an interesting theory, but the, uh, the pricing of the matzahs has really very, very little to do with the halacha, and mostly has to do with the managerial processes involved in manufacturing in other words uh you, you know if you look in the goyish world uh there's there's a science of how to run and manage a factory uh, most of the people that bake matzah uh they you know they know the halakha as well or they know business as well but if you do two or three you know, managerial monetary tweaks, it can make a huge difference in how, in the price of the matzah. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, you got your labor. Your labor costs, you know, a lot of the matzah bakeries import people from Eretz Yisrael uh, to the United States to do it. What do you do with their housing, right? That, believe it or not, that's a factor. If you're able to, uh, if you're able to, if you 're able to get top people, but the area that you have your place in you know you don't have housing for them, so then your labor cost is is seriously raised in that, and all these factors go into go into the pricing of the month it's uh it, it, also let's let 's not forget the orders you know some people you know take off time so that habs can come in and they charge them either by the pound. Or by the hour, that type of thing, and it makes you know all these factors make a difference. You, you got the rent year round of the ovens. You got the uh, you got the cost of, of, of wheat, which is uh, you know a little bit of the factor. Uh, the labor cost is huge. Uh, you know the 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 are you air conditioning? Are you you know all these other factors are really what goes into it, and uh, you know most of the matzah bakery owners don't uh, you know they they try and keep costs down but a lot of them don't really know how much they made uh until really a month after they get all the factors in and they still don't know how you know what they could have done to keep things down or more it, it's not believe it or not if they had some good forensic accountants going in there <laughs> and, and telling them how to do it and it won't affect the kashras uh... you know you could bring you could bring it down uh... you know what are the factors that cause how much matzah is produced you know those types of things uh, you know, did you did you produce enough matzah in November and December, when you know people don't don't really go matzah baking? You know, the, the, as they go, as they get closer to Pesach, that's when they do it. So, so there are all these uh, managerial slash accounting factors which really control the price. And you know, you always get people saying, "Oh, you know, it's a ripoff." It's not necessarily a ripoff. I have this muscle, you know, about the the catering halls, you know, out here in the five towns. It, you know, people can't, uh, or, or or the you know the other places, people can't compete with the you know the weddings, the wedding halls in Borough Park and in Williamsburg, because the the managers in in the wedding halls there, they've got it down to the science where they've they have their goyim converting entire rooms very, very quickly. You, know, you go to a wedding and you watch it, and it's just an unbelievable thing. They reduce their, 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 uh, they reduce their infrastructure costs significantly there. And because they can do that and because they've trained a whole crew of people to so quickly turn over a room, you don't need another room. And, and and that reduces that can reduce the costs in half. So you know you hear people complain about uh, people are ripping them off. And there there are people that have lost their shirt making matzahs, and there are people that you know have made uh, have made a lot of money making matzahs. And uh, uh, what I'm saying is that the managerial and accounting issues are are really the, the prime factors.
0: Okay, before we finish off here, let, let's let at least uh, open up the, uh, the the telephones. If someone would like to call us to speak to Rabbi Hoffman or myself, Rabbi Wickler, uh, 718-683-5858. And if you want to text, 347-927-8398. Again, 718-683-5858. And the uh, texting is 347-927-8398.
1: Uh, I want to ask. Yeah. uh go ahead. It's about uh, the Syrian or Yemenite uh, matzah. I know that we're taking you to another location, but uh, that's like a pita and. Uh, go ahead. It's a uh, w- what do you say about this uh, matzah? The thicker, the thicker matzah. The thicker one. The soft, soft, thicker man matzah.
2: Oh, okay. So the the uh, you know you have to ask your posting about this. You shouldn't really take a matzah that is not in your misora. If you do have, you know, sick people, the different things that they could do. You know, matzah can be very, very dangerous to older people. And you gotta figure out a way where you can eat it. So what some people do is they're matter neder to have the brocht and they water it down. Uh, some people have egg matzah. It's preferable to to undo the gebrochts uh, bimater neder and and put water in your matzah, making it softer uh, than to have egg matzah. Some people suggest, look, you know, you don't have to do either. You could just take the Syrian matzah, and that is kind of varmasora from more than two hundred and fifty years ago. Uh, but yeah. you know, I'm not going to passkin for anyone on that. Everyone should ask their posek what they should do. You know, for someone who's older and sick.
0: Let me just answer one thing, and then we can take the calls. You have a whole bunch of calls coming in now in the few, last few minutes. Uh, I just want to say one thing. Rabbi Rabbi Vashar Zim in Zatzal told us that uh, this is advisable for anybody who finds it difficult to chew the matzah the whole problem that comes up at the Seder, we hope to discuss the Seder closer to the Yom Tov itself, but the uh, that whole problem that comes up of how can I chew that matzah and somebody's telling me I have only this much time and I have to eat all of this matzah, it's almost not possible, you're allowed to take a drink with it and you're allowed to also soak it in matzah there. Uh, again, uh, Gabrucks I can't talk about, but... Uh, it, well, I mean, you be matzah nether okay, no, on the people who The people who are, who, who are careful with Gabrucks... But uh, the people who are not here careful with rocks for, for sure, they they could soak the matzah and they're not talking about leaving it overnight. We talking about just as you're going to eat it, and that makes it so much easier for anybody who finds it difficult. You don't have to be older sick. Of course, the people who find it who are in that uh, who are older sick, then obviously even much more so. But tonight we're not talking about the sheer of the matzah. Let's take some callers. Go ahead. Okay.
1: But you're, also we we are with this Fardish, uh, as the tradition from the Shulchan Aruch. You know they said about tefach, the size of a, of a thick matzah is uh, yeah. you know. But we have to know what, how yeah, ex- that matzah really exza- looked. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay,
2: right. go, go ahead. There, 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 is that, uh, there is that opinion. You know, there's also a fascinating shulchan aruch which says, what happens after Pesach, and you, you find something, and you can't tell whether it's matzah or whether it's bread. Now, what does that mean? That means that the machaber himself... You know, the it, it, it was kinda like a pita and you couldn't tell whether it was matzo or whether it was or whether it was bread. So whether it was hummets. That's that that that's how uh that's how it was. So you know, obviously uh the tefuch issue, you, you know, we don't go anywhere near that because of a But yeah, you're right. Originally that was the uh that was the high end uh that was the high end matzah.
0: But the main thing is it has to be with a proper kabola. Okay, let's go. Well, let's take some callers. You're on, on the air with Rabbi Yahya Hoffman and Rabbi Yosef Wickler. Go ahead, please. If
1: you if you wash further and you touch the matzah on your hands a little bit, wet, does it make a comment?
2: The Matzah is this, uh, After it's baked? Yeah. Okay, so after it's baked, it depends on your Mesorah. If you're from a Hasidic Mesorah and you're Makhbed on Gibraltar, yes, it's a problem. If you're from a Litvish Mesorah that is not Makhbed on Gibraltar, so then it's completely fine.
0: Okay, is that, does that help you? He's still there?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, are you uh, from the Hasidic background or from not from the Hasidic background? Not
1: Hasidic.
0: Okay, so then you have no problem. How old are you In what school?
1: I'm um, 10. I live in Lakewood. I go to
0: Caldera. Okay, thank you very much for calling. Go ahead. You're on the air. With You're on uncautious on the air. Go ahead, please. You're on the radio. Hello. Yes, go Hello? ahead. Go ahead.
2: Hi. Uh, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. And I appreciate your, your very good answer about, about uh, why their expenses or the expense of should be as high as it is sometimes. However, last year we had a, a rub come to our show and said that everybody should boycott. Uh, a lot of these places, because uh, I know specifically, without naming, matzah bakeries in Bar Park. There's one place that makes a very thin matzah, and last year I think it was either twenty six or twenty seven dollars a pound. Uh, what what do you feel about about this this call right now by some rabbanim to to uh, to boycott these places? <laughs> well, uh, you know, we do find boycotts in halacha when you know the fish uh, sellers you know, overdid it, and that type of thing. Uh, So there is a place for a boycott uh, to make sure that people do not take advantage and to make sure that it's not artificially uh, steeped up. But what I would do is I would call the bakery beforehand, and I would, like, look into it and try and find out why it is that uh, the price is so high. If it's, uh, if it's to managerial issues and, and accounting issues, then I don't think I would do a boycott. If there is, uh, you know, if, if there's price gouging involved, so then I, I think a boycott would definitely be warranted. I'm sure ruv would not uh, indicate a boycott unless he, you know, researched the issue. But it might be worthwhile just to double-check to make sure that it's not coming from,
0: that it is coming from price gouging, in which case I would say by all means boycott. But Boycotting boycotting means you have to have something to eat. And that's one of the biggest problems with this whole issue of matzah. Because the people, let's say, for example, who have a chabura, they, only, they can only get certain places, they can only get cooperation in certain places. And therefore, a lot of us have to adjust. So it, 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 maybe this person is charging more than he should, and maybe we should find ways to pressure. But boycotting sometimes backfires. Anyway, that's not really our topic here. And thank you very much for the call. Go ahead, your next, next call. Yeran Kashrus on the air. Can we help you? Hello? Yes, you're on the air.
3: Yes. Okay, my question is, if you mentioned before that uh, about the halacha, that stacks of flour should not be stacked on top of each other, yet we find that in in many matah bakeries they do stack the flour on top of each
2: other. That's
0: what he recommended. That's why he said it's an issue. He said that people who do, at least when they do a chabura, when they actually control the bakery, he's suggesting that's something that they can look at. I've
2: seen, by the way, sometimes people put like these, like, uh, I don't know they they're like these jacks or something or or they put something in between uh-huh. you know so it's so not that direct the, yeah so that the stacks so sometimes you see them sometimes you don't see them sometimes they have uh they have these separators on some of them and not uh, the other ones if i, I mean what you, the best thing to do is the educated consumer is the best consumer as as sims used to say and the more we bring these things up to you know the mashkiach or to the rub there uh, you know, the more they'll be makbid on it at all times. So that's why it's important to like know these halachas and to to visit them and to uh, and to say, look, you know, you're stacking them. Where are your separators? They say, oh, yeah, you know, we ran out of separators, te- you know, temporarily. So then so you say, all right, make sure you separate these bags and don't use them for another 24 hours at least.
0: You know, Uh so that's uh, and discuss if you if you're not satisfied with what they're saying over there, you got to discuss with the rov because every single bakery that I know of has a rov who stands behind it, and and visits on on some kind of regular occasion has a mashkiach standing there.
3: Right. Uh, Can I ask one more quick question? Go ahead. Is there a chumrah not to flip the matzah as you're rolling it out from one side to the other? Is
2: there a chumrah not to flip it? Hmm. I've uh, seen them
0: doing it, so I can tell you. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, I'm not sure. I, I don't think there is, but I, you, know, you never know. If you want, you could take my email
0: address, yairhoffman2 at gmail.com, and I'll try and answer you. Two Fs in Hoffman. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Another caller. Go ahead. You're on the air. You're on the air. Hello? Go ahead. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yes. Go ahead. And,
3: well, with all due respect to Nissan, what he said about the Shulchan Aruch says Tefach of the mantis. Um, there's, there's good reasons why the Ashkenazim um, switched the minig. Later on, you can see an excellent treatment of the whole topic of baking mantis in the Sefer Madane Shmuel, where it explains why indeed Ashkenazim changed their minig.
0: Okay, but that doesn't invalidate a Minnick that has existed for hundreds of years. And uh, no,
3: I'm not telling the Sfarim not to do it, but right. we didn't, not, We know about um, the Shulchan Aruch n- what the, the Mechaber says, and we still. We still don't right, do it like that because we have reasons why no. we don't do it. Right. That's no. why we hundred shouldn't. Hundreds of years ago, we did do it. Right, that's why we shouldn't.
2: Uh, we shouldn't switch back to the old minhug, because right. our minhug now is to keep it thin, and that's why you shouldn't even do it. You, know, you can only do it with a with a, that's you know, with a sock from yeah. your you know from your right. You should not do it.
3: Yeah, one more one more thing about a boycott uh, by fish the the the, the of ram and other parties can clearly say if the Akam raise the prices, it's it's not clear if a Jew makes a boycott. If, it's you, if, if a Jew if raises the raise prices uh, they want to make hidden. a boycott.
0: What? I think if it's yidden also there are chuvas about it. I mean there's there's a, there's a host in the sh'tus of more than a sixth. I mean there are right. There, there, right.
2: There are, no, but, but you could still make a, you could still make a boycott if it's Yidden. And there there are hundreds of chuvas that say that it's not just by the goyish ones. But,
3: uh, uh, but but also if if uh, the halachos do say by fish and you could apply it here that if the price goes up for reasons not because they're taking advantage then you're not allowed to make a boycott. Right, right. That was the point that I was making. If it's even if it's an
2: accounting or a managerial issue and it's not a price gouging issue, you should not make a boycott. I mean, he needs a parnassa. You know? Right.
0: I, I thank you very much for the call, and I, <laughs> by, by Yahman we our time is already up. It was, it was too short. We I mean, didn't do everything we hoped to do, but Baruch Hashem, we got covered quite a bit. And I want to thank you again for joining us.
2: It's always a pleasure. And uh, uh, thanks again for everything you do for the, uh, for the Torah community. You're, uh, you know, what you do is, is really invaluable because not only do you bring up the points on Kashos, but you, uh, you actually bring up the level. And uh, you educate people. So thank you, you very much for everything that you do.
0: Thank you very much, and we hope to have you on again soon. Uh, everybody should uh, join us again next week. We have a whole series going into Pesach, up, right up till Pesach. And if you have any questions or you want to get the magazine, the, the Pesach issue, call us at seven one eight three three six eight five four four. And until next week, this is your host Rabbi Yosef Wickler.